The RideList app, a proud sponsor of the Boardroom Podcast. Download the RideList app for your iPhone. Swap, sell, or buy your gear. RideList. The Boardroom International Surfboard Show, May 4th and 5th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, featuring the Icons of Foam Shaping Competition, which honors Wayne Lynch. Eight shapers are going to attempt to replicate some of Wayne Lynch's epic surfboards. Different panel discussions featuring surfers such as Bing Copeland, Wayne Lynch, Peter Townen, Jerry Lopez, Taylor Knox, Damian Hobgood, many, many others. The Boardroom Talks, hosted by Chris Morrow, former editor of Surfer Magazine, and now the host of a great podcast called People Who Surf. I urge you to check that out. And also this weekend, the California Gold Surf Auction. You can preview and inspect all of the boards in the auction at the Boardroom International Surfboard Show. Or, if you can't make it down there, simply download the app, California Gold Surf Auction, and you can see all 75 auction lots in high-definition images. You can bid from anywhere in the world using your phone, iPad, laptop, personal computer. CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com And the show brought to you by Ranch 45 Restaurant in California. Farm-to-table goodness, breakfast and lunch responsibly sourced provisions for your healthy lifestyle, Ranch 45. And, of course, you can swing by and grab your dinner and cook it at home. Live great, Ranch 45. In the late 1980s, one surfer dominated the USA competitive surfing scene, winning three USA titles in 1987, 1988, and 1989. In the process, he beat fellow competitive standout surfers Mike Parsons, Bud Yamas, Noah Budrow, Dave Parmenter, Dino Andino, and many, many others. But until reading the title on this podcast, you probably wouldn't have been able to name him. Mike Lambrizi on the Boardroom Podcast. Let us begin. Okay, the Boardroom Podcast with Mike Lambrizi. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I've got my... Oolong. Oolong. My oolong, yeah. I got my water. I'm good. Mm, okay. Um, I'm going to start. I usually start off with some kind of a little bit left to center questions just to kind of get us going. Okay. So I'd like to know, is there an artistic outlet that you partake in? Something artistic that you do? Besides, besides surfing? No, I could be surfing, but that's sort of the obvious one. Right. Surfing's artistic. Um, I love to do photography. Um, not always surfing, just uh, out, outdoor stuff. My wife and I both go out together. Yeah. She has a real camera. Uh-huh. I have my iPhone, which does pretty good. And yeah. that's artistic. Because then you yeah. get to edit and play with things and yeah. and then print them out and see how they, see how they turn out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoy that. That's a way to get a um, uh, to feel artistic when you don't have a lot of artistic skills, like 
drawing or something like that. So are you are you not artistic? Would you would would you say that I'm not? No. Yeah, I don't have like an artistic skill of drawing or anything like that. So I have to use a camera in order for it uh, to to let out my artistic side. Right. What about music? Mm. You like music? I love music. What do you like? <clears throat> oh gosh, I like it all. I like rock. I like I like a lot of old stuff. Can't help it. What does that mean? What is old stuff for, give me for a, me? Yeah. No, that would be uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, stuff like that from yeah. when I was growing up. Sure. Um, I like a lot of the new music, which would be um, Cage the Elephant, um, you know, newer alternative bands. Maybe not new, but more recent. Yeah. And uh, But I can't sing worth a damn, so yeah, I just enjoy it. Okay. And what was the last live music performance you saw? Uh, wow <clears throat> my wife and i go out often to f- to see live music at night can't remember the last it might have been just a local band clay colton yeah in carlsbad all right yeah cool. what does clay play what does he play that sounds like country well he he does do some of that yeah. and, and he does really uh well at irish really? type of rock and roll you know like water boys things like that mm, okay um if I'm not mistaken, the guy has a four octave voice, which is pretty intense. Okay. And he's really talented. So yeah, he's fun to watch. All right, cool. Yeah. Um let's see, you you were born in Loma Linda, California, according to this. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Oceanside. And you were a successful professional bodyboarder in the late seventies and early eighties. In fact, that's when I first met you, when you were not only successful, I think you you were like the champion professional bodyboarder. Well, it was pretty new back, back then. Yeah. It was still boogie boarding back then, in fact. Right. Bodyboarding hadn't become a term. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, oh my gosh, that's all I did. I think I won the first pro bodyboard contest ever. Yeah. And I got $500 up in uh, Huntington Beach. I was 15, got me a moped and... Grabbed my surfboard and headed to the beach. Right. I was doing both. Cool. Um, it says here that you began stand-up surfing in 1982. That you Completely sk- incorrect. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. is from the Encyclopedia of Surfing. Yeah. I, there's a lot of people who have written that over the years, so it's yeah. kind of just kept going. Yeah. That's the year I graduated. I'd have been surfing since I was about uh, 12, yeah. so that would have been about 76. Mm-hmm. Or 75 that I started surfing. And, and it says here that you skipped amateur competition altogether, which I recall surfing against you in those YMCA surf series things with, you know, the Encinitas YMCA. And that was in 81 or mm. something. But maybe, maybe that's my memory being I, wrong there. I don't know. I might have surfed a few amateur contests here and there. I remember doing a, um, a WSA when I was uh, in the boys division. And I just remember surfing and, and uh, amateur contest, uh, as far as that goes, the NSSA, when yeah. that hit, I did that for Oceanside High. Yeah. But I never got into it in a way that was uh, um, trying to achieve or, or grow that into a professional career. I was just surfing the, the contest for fun and for practice. And yeah. I love competing. Yeah. I always have. And uh, so I, just, I guess I just didn't take it serious enough. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is... Where, where do you rank as far as your competitive spirit? Oh, my gosh. 
Um, I would say I was a nine or a 10 when I was competing. Yeah. Uh, I could be ruthless to the point where it would embarrass me today. Yeah. Yeah. And what about now? You're competitive now. I mean, are you competitive at home, like with Scrabble or with... I'm competitive in nature, but having had three kids and five grandkids, I've learned how to um, tone it back and let other people win sometimes. Yeah. And to try to just enjoy it. Oh, good for you. Um, But it's not always that easy. Yeah. I like to win. So I always am thinking of how do I do this to maximize or or to win or, you know, to be successful. Just kind of the way my mind works. Mm. Um. Why do you think you're, what do you attribute that to? You oh have, my gosh. Cause I, I mean, I asked the question because I know you as a hyper competitive person mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, we know that, but why? What drove me? Well, there's a lot of different things that drive people. I don't, you know, everybody has their own, um, story, I guess. That's a good question. Um, I used to think that you're just kind of born competitive, but I don't know that that's the case anymore. What about siblings? Uh, I have a, I had a little sister, but that wasn't the, uh, the driving force. I think the driving force, first of all, just a little bit of it came natural. Mm-hmm. But then second, in life, it was a way for me to um, feel needs in my life or to accomplish things and get recognized and, and things of that nature. So once I found out I was good at it, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can at this and see right. what I can get from it. Right. So you were getting some accolades, mm-hmm. you were getting some attention mm-hmm. and obviously as a young kid that, that feels good. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you see that a lot, especially from, um, kids from broken homes or that are poor. Is that the situation with you? It was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, what was your home life like when you say broken? Uh, Mom and dad split up when I was about eight, and uh, my dad lived downtown, and I saw him once in a great while, and um, I think I was, a I don't know the exact age, but maybe 13 or 14, uh, some things happened that ended, landed me in a foster home for a little while, um, so, you know, just being, you know, not having that stability, mm-hmm. not having the um, the surrounding and the up upbringing that would provide all of those nurturing type things that maybe that was fulfilling for a while. Yeah. And, um, it seems as if you've sort of broken that cycle. I mean, you've been married and you have, is it the same wife you've had the whole time? No, no. Uh, -uh. um, you know, it's, it's interesting because that's always the goal. That's what you say when you're getting married, but then sometimes you get older and you find out that you, I mean, life happens and, and you see things differently. And sometimes there's those aha moments where you go, oh, I get it. I yeah. see why my parents had trouble with this, or I see why people do these things. Because yeah. then all of a sudden you're in a situation. And sometimes until you suffer or go through things like that, you can't relate to other people. Yeah. You know, it's really hard. Yeah. Are you a spiritual person? No. I remember you being a part of sort of this Gary Linden um, <clears throat> surf team or posse, if you will. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about who was in that group of guys? And um, yeah. Well, at first, when I was 15, a local surfer named Nick Adams said, you got to come down here and, uh, and try some McGarry's boards. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I did. And he at the time was making boards for David Barr. And I remember getting... Um, 
boards from Gary's shape for me. And then I actually would go in and grab some boards off the rack that, that, uh, David may not have liked. Yeah. Um, that I really liked. And these were twin fins. Yeah. You know, we were off the single fins. Um, then, you know, through that whole transition, uh, we had a lot of different people come through there. Chewy Rayner became part of the team. Um, Taylor Knox, he was young when we picked him up on the team and yeah. he started riding for Gary. He was still having, um, um, issues with his back healing up and stuff. But one of, you want to talk about somebody who had a determination that was that guy there. He wasn't, he was going to make it no matter what. Yeah. And, um, Brad Gerlach came through. Yeah. Beca- became part of the team. Todd Holland. Oh my gosh. Gary's, uh, influence and some of the top surfers that he had over the years were, were phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing Paul surfer. Bar. Paul Barr as well. Paul and David. Yeah. Um, Trying to remember some of the guys on the Oceanside High School surf team, but Banning Caps was one of them. He was a little bit younger. <clears throat> yep. I'm thinking more like your era, my age. Well, in uh, Oceanside High, I just remember being on the surf team and we'd surf against other schools, and I was pretty much the only surfer on the team that um, that right. would ever make the finals or anything. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah it would be me yeah. and five guys from every other school yeah. every single time. Yeah. And, um, what was Gary Linden like as a, as a shaper or as a friend or as a mentor? I mean, do you, do you have any recollection of? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gary Linden, um, you know, he did a lot more than just shape surfboards for me. There was times when I needed a place to stay. I went and lived with his family. Um, he and Wendy and the two girls took me in. He is, uh, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Yeah, he's really a, a kind, giving person. His whole life is basically wrapped around surfing, and when you're in the surfing industry and you're shaping and doing that part of which interacts with people, um, I think that's just you know that's kind of a natural thing to do. Or you just you know it's hard to hard to work with people. Yeah, you have to really you got to care about them and like them. And Gary's one of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was he sort of like a big brother figure, or is that? Putting too much on it or a father No, figure? no, 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 not too much. He was a coach, a mentor, uh, a father figure, um, you know, probably a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. That era was, um, and I'm sure this era, I'm sure all eras are riddled with sort of drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and and, um, and temptations for, for a young kid, a young teenage kid without a father, especially mm-hmm. more or less, right? But as I recall, you never went down that path. I, now, I don't know you that well, but I, ne- I always saw you as, like, super focused on being a competitive surfer. Like, you, you know what I mean? And so, I don't know, refresh my memory. Did, was there any issues there with you, or is that none of our business? There was, and, and uh, I don't mind talking about it. Part of not having that amateur career that's really focused and, you know, where you do this and you're really trying to achieve something was because I did party a lot. Yeah. Now, when I came on the scene um, as an amateur and surfed some pro-ams and started to break through, I had stopped all that. Right. But I was, oh my gosh, in high school, junior high school, smoking, drinking. Yeah. Um, you know, cocaine was big back then. Yeah. But people didn't know that about me. Yeah. By the time I came on the scene, I had uh, uh, converted to Christianity, and that was kind of behind me. Never, uh-huh. never really talked about. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was part of my life. A so big part. You, you converted to Christianity as a young teenager, and but I asked you about your spirituality, and you were pretty abrupt in saying, "No, I'm not a spiritual person." Yeah, how do you 
co how do you like reconcile that well i i think at um you know i'm 55 now so over years and years of uh growing and and having our own experiences you know we we come to our own belief systems yeah right and and we get there without anybody's help sure and so um you know at this point i don't i don't um you know, I don't know the answers. Right. I don't try to pretend I do. Right. I, I'm not really a big fan of religion. Yeah. Any of them. But not religion, maybe more spirituality, like the concept of some power that's out there that's greater oh, than sure, sure. Than mine. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I believe that. I just um just all the other stuff surrounding it is really hard for me to swallow yeah, sometimes. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think most yeah. people feel that way. If you're selling it, I'm not buying it. But if you're telling it through your actions, perhaps Right. I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, a quick break in the podcast to tell you about the RideList app. The RideList app for your iPhone, you can download it. And when you do, you'll be able to buy, sell, and swap your gear, whether it be surf gear, snow gear, skate gear, vintage stuff, camera gear, bike gear. And I'm on the app right now, and I'm just browsing here. There's a... Quicksilver Team Rider board for $350. A lost sub driver, six foot four lost sub driver for only $100. And I'm going to take a peek at this because, okay, this one is in good shape. This is the kind of great deal you can get on Rideless. $100 for a lost sub driver. There are a lot of snowboards on here. I see some skateboards. Here's a JS surfboard, the Forget Me Not. Here's a Stamps, a nice 6'2 Stamps. Here's what looks like a brand new four mil XL full suit for 200 bucks. All sorts of cool stuff on here. So ride list, check it out, ride, sell, swap, or buy your gear. It's a gear marketplace for people like you and I ride list. Download it today. So in 1983 as a professional, I think you were a senior in high school. I graduated in 82. 82. Yep, just graduated. You won the California Stubbies Trials, <laughs> a professional event. Tell me a little bit about that, if you can recall some of that. 19, oh, yeah. That's a big event for California. Surfing. It was the biggest one of the year that year, I believe. The year before, I had surfed the event, 82, and got, I don't know, it's like ninth or 13th or something. Where was this? Lowers or Oceanside? Lowers, yeah. Lowers. So that year, 83, I got... You're 18 years old. You're 17 or 18 years old. I was 18. Yeah. And um, I might have turned 18 during the event. I can't remember. But um, Stubbies had just signed me to a contract, and they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to support you. Jim Watson was running uh, a lot of what they did and uh, helped out. And I went to that event really with no... I didn't know any better. Yeah. You know, sometimes you you uh, are afraid and you're nervous and you're scared. And sometimes you're like, I can do this or whatever, but I had no expectations. It was just like, I want to go up here and kill it. I just want to do anything I can do. And I was hungry. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm going through heats and I'm in the quarter semis and finals against Dave Parmenter. Yeah. You know, who at that time hadn't lost a heat. I don't think in a few years. Yeah. He was on a roll. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it was, you know, it was a big event, big event for me. And what a launching pad out of nowhere to win that. 
Yeah, so you won the biggest professional event in, for California surfers, 1983, mm-hmm. against Dave Parmenter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a competitive machine. It's frankly, still is to oh, this yeah. day. And, um, and you said a launching pad. So tell me, what did that launch you on? I'm imagining well, you got sent to Australia for the Stubbies event in Australia. Part of uh, that event, first and second got money and a ticket to Australia and a seed into the Stubbies uh, at Burley Head. And um, so Dave and I, and we're, we're kind of... How do you get along with Dave at this point? I haven't seen him in a while, but No, it's, no, not now, but I mean... That, at this point? Yeah, when you're... Because he's pretty competitive, and he, you are too, so I can see you guys kind of going at it. You know, he, uh, he took shots at me when he could, and it was always funny with Dave because he would either be um, taking a shot at you or, or something, or he'd be the most helpful, giving guy you know. You know, like if he took you under his wing while you're going to be in a in a final or something, he would really, really um, uh, uh, give you some good input and really, really help out. But there's and did other... you see both sides of that mm-hmm. all yeah. the time? Yeah, Dave was uh, he he definitely showed both sides all the time. Yeah, but we went to Australia. If I remember correctly, we even stayed in the same hotel room. I can't guarantee that, but. As uh, fate would have it, we were seated against each other in the first round of the main event. Oh, my God. I know. It was unbelievable. And it's man-on-man at Burley Heads? Yeah. Oh, my God. And so Dave tried to get into my head a couple of days ahead of time. How did he do that? What did he do? Oh, things like, hey, you know what? You may have won the stubbies with, you know, trying to outmaneuver me and be quicker or whatever, but I'm smarter there's a buoy. I'm going to use that buoy and I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> he basically is- just said, you cannot outsmart me and beat me in a heat. That's incredible. And, uh, I did everything I could to make sure that it was the buoy. And by using the buoy at the end that I won, awesome. I blocked him by using the buoy. Wow. That's so incredible. it was great. We, How big were the waves? What were the waves? Like, like three feet yeah. inside, inside Burley. Yeah. Um, and beating him was always a challenge because yeah. he was so good. Yeah. He really was. Yeah. But, That's um, pretty interesting. He was pretty mad at me for a while after that. I bet. What was it like that night in the hotel room? I mean, was it? Uh, I have no idea. Was... I doubt we were around each other much. Yeah. And then I was getting ready for the, uh, next for heat. the next heat. Yeah. Um, which I can't remember who that was against. It might've been Sean. Oh, it was I think that was the year Sean Thompson was going for his for a world title. I think I had Sean in in a later heat. Right. Yeah. So how far? Oh, wait a minute. This is my first year. No, that's not the case. The first year, I had Mark Richards in the next heat, oh. and he was the defending champion. But he's uh, I think he was the defending world champ and yeah. the defending Stubbies champ. Yeah. And I think it was my nineteenth birthday that I surfed against him, and I uh, I came out victorious. Awesome. And that was, um, him and Sean were my idols. So yeah. I, I was above the moon at that point. It was pretty amazing. That's incredible. I mean, I can't imagine that, the feeling of elation you must have had defeating these guys that, like you say, they were our generations. We didn't have Californians really to look up to. No, we didn't. Not until Tom came along. And yeah. He was our age. Yeah. So it was always those guys that you and I looked to and, and that's who the magazines kind of pushed. There mm-hmm. just simply wasn't. But anyway, I digress. So after beating the defending world champion and the defending champion of the Stubbies in Mark Richards, imagine your next heat must have been a bit of a downer. I don't know. I'm just assuming that yeah. you kind of drank the Kool-Aid. Do you remember a surfer named Kingsley Looker? Yes. 
I think he may have he may have beat me by the largest margin ever. I do not know what happened in the next heat. <laughs> All I know is I got just slaughtered by him, and it was probably two foot blown out burly heads. Yeah. Um, but that's contest. You know, you run, they run, and you go. Back then, yeah, yeah, he annihilated me. Wow. Um. So you joined the tour in, in 83, according to this. You, yep. And you finished the 1984 season ranked number 18 in the world. And you were named by the ASP the most improved surfer. Mm-hmm. Probably, that's probably something similar to Rookie of the Year, maybe. I don't even know if they had Rookie of the Year back then. They did. Um, I think Bryce Ellis got it that oh, year. Okay. Yeah. There's a name from the past. Right, right. But I had surfed about... Gosh, how many events a year before? Maybe five or six. Yeah. So I guess technically they wouldn't call me a rookie the second year. Yeah. Um, but I think my surfing prior to that was pretty hideous, like style-wise. Yeah. I mean, I have old footage of winning the stubbies, and I cringe watching it. Yeah, why? What, what, well, connecting the dots without any I was flow? connecting the dots. There was no flow. Yeah. My arms were everywhere. I wiggled. I just, I just attacked yeah. everything. Yeah. And you would have never used the word style right. ever watching me surf. Yeah. And uh, then when I got on the tour, I started recognizing technique in surfers. I never thought about technique. It was just like, gosh, how do I get out there? How do I hit it? And uh, then, of course, Tom Kern's technique seemed perfect. So I just started studying the way people did things with their weight, their arms, where they would point, the center of gravity, the line you take on a wave. And that's what um, that's what changed my surfing a lot. Because I think it was a huge transformation. It took a few years to do it. Hmm. Was Tom a big influence? Yeah. Yeah. On all of us, right? I don't think any of us weren't influenced by Tom Curran. Totally you had agree. the you had the um Busting down the door generation. Yeah. And then you had the Tom generation and then momentum. Yeah. But Tom was his own um, generation for all of us. Yeah. I mean, look what he did. He he, uh, he left here as an amateur, turned pro, went to Australia and won the, um, I forgot what they call it back then, but they used to have a name for the three events they would do over there, kind of like the Triple Crown. Oh, right. And he went over there and won that thing his first year. Right. He won the, that leg, those three He won the leg. He might have won one or two of the events, too. I think he might have won stubbies. Right. Oh, he's won stubbies a couple but of times. But as a rookie. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. We would need to. Yeah. He influenced a lot more people than just us in California, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. But um, it says here that, you know, Unexpectedly, at the age of 21, you retired from surfing on the ASP World Tour. So I'm assuming that's probably right around 85, or is that 86? No, uh-uh, I didn't make it that long. So so I did about I did a few events the first year and finished 46, just surfing like the last half of them. Yeah. The next year I finished 18th. And then that going that third year, um, I had a lot of aspirations to get up into the top 10. Yeah. You know what the surfing tour was like back then. Yeah. 10 months, 11 months a year, living out of a suitcase. Um, my uh, kid's mother uh, got pregnant with our first child while I was traveling. Yeah. And it was like, oh my gosh, how do I, how am I going to do this? I can't be gone 10 months a year. I just can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And, uh, and the traveling was really hard. I don't like 
Yeah. The, um, the grind. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, were you making any money? No, I was just getting by. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think many people were making money then. It was probably just the top five or, yeah. or a couple of those guys. Um, and then Joey started the PSAA. Yeah. Um, Joey Buran. Yeah. And I yeah. thought, well, I'll try that and I'll just try being a rep and do that and see if I can make ends meet. And turns out I didn't need to be a rep. I just surfed the, the Bud Tour and um, I would still travel to some of the ASP events and compete in them. Like I would go to Japan once or twice a year. I would go to Hawaii. Um, always go up to Santa Cruz and surf the O'Neill. If there's anything within range, right. I would go do it. Right. But with the tour being domestic, as we were having kids, I was home most of the time. Right. That's kind so, of, it was kind of a perfect situation for you, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have some, not regret, because you can't regret that. I mean, I got three amazing children. Yeah. But you do, I always wish I could have measured myself the proper way. Yeah. Against the best. Yeah. That's it's funny you say that, because one of the things in my notes is, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but when... You know, you you basically retired around eighty nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. So ten years later, in ninety nine, roughly two thousand two thousand one, kind of in there, Rabbit Bartholomew sort of takes this um, this Billabong concept that he had. You know, taking pro surfers to great locations mm-hmm. in Australia or wherever in India, and he turned that into basically the dream tour. You mm-hmm. know, like we're going to do. So when you look back, you're like, gosh, 10 years. I was just 10 years removed from being <laughs> in really good waves all the time and only maybe eight times a year right? relative to what you mentioned, which was horrible surf. They run it no matter what. Yep. They blow the horn and you go out. Well, there plus- was no webcast. It was just, it was really not pleasant. No, and then you just had these trials you had to get through every time just to get up against the top 16. Right. Um, Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I never really thought about it that it was so close 10 years away, but... Um, 
Yeah, that's an amazing uh, thing that he did. And I sure would have loved to have tried that. That's for sure. Yeah. So in 87, 88, 89, you're on the domestic tour, what we call the Bud Tour, because they were the sponsor. But it's Mm -hmm. the PSAA. Joey Baran created this tour basically because we as young California pros had nothing. Zero. We had no way to kind of learn our trade, Mm -hmm. you know. And and that thing took off. Um, we I it think really we had did. Prime Ticket involved. We had television, right? We had even ESPN PTO, got involved. ESPN. So as the champ, back to back to back. I mean, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. You were our USA champion. I mm-hmm. did, I think that gets overlooked. I think the PSAA gets overlooked. Frankly, they Probably never really mentioned. Well, yeah, that's you know, for and sure. it, and it's gone. It was gone before the internet was there to. Uh, archive it in a way. Yeah. Um, and there was, it does get overlooked. The stream of surfers that came through there is ridiculous. Tell me some names. Of some well, guys. I was in a final with, uh, Shane Beshin, um, Todd Chesser and Tony Moniz at backdoor. Tony Moniz came yeah. over to surf. No, this oh, was at backdoor. Oh yeah. 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 But, and then I was in finals with, um, Kelly Slater when he was coming up. And Rich Rudolph, the OPEs back there, there was the CJ, uh, the Hopkins, CJ and uh, Damien surfed a couple of the events. So it was great to have that tour. It was a place to learn, to grow, to launch from. And uh, we don't really have that anymore. It's a much tougher. Do you think we're tougher... missing that? Mm-hmm. Because I look at North American surfers and I feel like they're not very hungry. They're not very seasoned. Mm-hmm. They've kind of been given too much too soon. Give me your sense on North American surfers and sort of a lack of competitive success. Well, you know, it's been a topic lately. You know, they talked about what's it been seven or 10 years since a Californian won a world tour. And that should have changed a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. by the way. Um, you know, circumstances in life will dictate a lot of stuff. And when you're born in um, the kind of poverty or uh, helplessness or hopelessness that the Brazilians can be, these are life-changing circumstances for them. They can, they become, I mean, they get money that's going to affect their entire family. I mean, that kind of hunger is, you can't really do that. Or, or that kind of hunger is hard to match when you're uh, brought up in an affluent home, given everything from a really young age. Now, some guys have it natural and they can develop it and still overcome and win, but the odds are against them. And I definitely, definitely think that, uh, um, it's suffering. Australia's suffering too. You know, it, it's one of those things that it's just the fire's not there. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, the heat with Kolohe and mm-hmm. Idolo, um, sort of in passing there a couple of weeks ago um, at Duramba during the, the Quicksilver Pro on the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of it did come down to sort of this last. M- wave for Idolo. Mm-hmm. So give me your thoughts on, on that. Well, when it was happening, I thought, um, let me set the stage. So yeah, Kaloe's in the lead. Yep. There's about, I don't know, a couple minutes left, something like that. And Idolo needs basically like a six, three, a 6.3, I think something right around there. Right. A little bit better than mid-level range. Go ahead. If I remember correctly, he needed his best wave of the heat to get, to get the score and to win. 
And uh, as time was ticking down, Chloe had priority. And, you know, in hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe he should have just taken that wave. But, my God, that wave sucked. I mean, it was like, why? He's going to, even if he gets it and does a maneuver, it can't be that great. Um, it was a, you know, he got up and did his thing, getting down the line, building up speed, and did that flat, flat really fast spin. I personally never thought it even came close to the score. Right. I was just like, oh, it's over. Chloe finally won his event. Yeah. And when they start, when you started seeing how long it was taking for them to get the score together, I'm like, there's no way they're going to find a way to give that the score. And they did. And I just could not believe it. I didn't think, um, I didn't even think it was close. Yeah. Why do you think the judges thought it was obviously better or, <laughs> or enough? I remember, uh, and it's always been this way on the tour, there's always somebody who's the flavor of the month or the year or something. And it just happens. Yeah. Um, so the subjective nature of mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And Italo is worthy of being the flavor of the month. The guy's an amazing surfer. He'll win a world title. I yeah. love the way the guy surfs. Yeah. Um, that aerial, you mentioned it was flat, but you also mentioned that it was incredibly fast. And it was. I would argue that although we knew he was going to do an aerial at one point on that wave, that it mm -hmm. came so dynamic and so quick and his landing in the flats was so smooth and mm -hmm. effortless that I imagine they just picked the eyes out of it on the video they and, had to and, and just went, you know what? In other words, I think if he would have telegraphed it and just sent a, a slower aerial, they would have went, okay, not as good as Kaloe's. Right. But it, I personally didn't expect it that quick and that fast mm -hmm. and the landing to be so smooth. So I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't totally blown away. Right. You know what I mean? I wasn't mm -hmm. totally blown away that they got it. I, I, it was right there. It was kind of a yeah. toss up. Yeah. I don't know, just my take. Not that anyone cares. It was close. Yeah. Um, who do you root for? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm just a fan of really good surfing. I, there's a lot of surfers I root for in different situations. Yeah. Um, do you have a slant towards North American surfers or USA surfers? Do you have any nationalism? Do you? Feel I do like a little bit. Like yeah. I'm a big fan of Kaloe. Yeah. And uh, Griffin. Yeah. And um, but I actually, but their surfing is amazing. It's not because they're from here. They surf amazing. And uh, and I consider Hawaii America. So Seth and those guys. I mean, I'm real excited to see him on the tour. But I got to tell you, I mean, some of the Australians, the Brazilians are amazing to me. They blow my mind. I'm so impressed with how hard they fight. They bring competitiveness to the sport, which kind of got lost, I think, a little bit. You know, it became too soft and gentleman-like. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, so it depends on the conditions. But, I mean, gosh, John John, I love the way he serves Julian. Um, what if it's, say, for instance, Zeke Lau versus uh, Griffin Colapinto? What, uh, who do I prefer? Yeah, who are you oh, going to Oh, Colapinto all day long. Yeah. And I'm not a Zeke that? Lau fan at all. Okay, well, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm wondering how important nationalism is, mm. not just to you or to me, but right. to, the, to, the, to sort of create a robust tour and to create talking points and mm -hmm. To create reasons that we do root for these guys mm -hmm. instead of just this one sort of homogenized group of surfers who all, oh, by the way, happen to be from different countries. Right. What do you think about nationalism and about the importance that the WSL sort of propped that up 
in a natural way. Well, I, th- I think it does matter because people uh, that don't surf um, or that don't or they're new to the sport and really start to enjoy it and want to watch it have to have something that's going to give. It's like the Olympics. Oh, my gosh. You know, how nationalistic is that? It, yeah. It's kind of the same theory. You've got to have something for them to relate to and to cheer for. They may not know the guy, but they know he's from USA, and that's where they're from. And uh, I think the WSL could do a better job of building that up, creating um, a little more rivalries. But it seems like they're doing the opposite. They try to tone it all down. I mean, I haven't heard. It's like the interviews are all the same when they're on the broadcast. You know, they interview the winner or the loser, and they say the same thing, all of them. It's like ridiculous. What would you do if you could pull the strings? What What are some changes that you might make? Like, um, how would you interview the winner or the loser? Well, you just want to ask them questions, and tr- maybe you'd have to, maybe you have to dig a little harder. How do you really feel? Yeah. Are you telling me that you're just happy to be here right now? You just lost. Yeah. Aren't you pissed? Yeah. Do you see what he did to you out there? Are you embarrassed? Do you want to win? What's up? I mean, <laughs> gosh. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is the greatest life I have. I learned something. I'm going to go to the next event. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that sounds but that's boring. Like their team managers told like they've mm-hmm. gotten to a place where they know the talking points. So yeah. we need to get somebody that can can go John McEnroe and sort of pull out the really important stuff or Greg exactly. Norman. There's some great broadcasters that have the ability because they have the respect of the competitors. Mm-hmm. And somebody like you, frankly, the way you just did that, I'm like, Mike, you should get a job as a sideline reporter. <laughs> I don't think WSL will allow that. That's my that's my right. feeling, though. Yeah. I might be wrong. Yeah. But I think that's from the top down. You know who else would, I think, be good in that regard is somebody like Brad Gerlach. Right. Somebody who's just going to call it the way, the he, way sees he sees it. it. You know yep. what I mean? Now, there's a fine line. You know, you've got a guy who just imagine you, you come in from a heat, you've lost, mm-hmm. you've traveled all over the world, you're pissed, you're angry, you're disappointed. And somebody gets in your face, not gets in your face, but mm-hmm. asks you, you know, pretty pounding, blunt yeah, questions. Yeah. And, and so there is, it, it, it's really a hard position to fill. You know, well, like you have, that person has to. You have to, you have to walk a really tight rope there because you want to ask. I mean, you want to get the true raw emotion, but you don't want to hurt. You don't want to offend or hurt somebody who's just lost. Yeah, yeah. You can do that though. Yeah. You know, you can just say, Hey, tell us how you feel right now. You know, that was, that was a hard heat. You gave it everything you got and you lost. You know, as you do know, uh, other sports have like post event press conferences, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you're, you're probably watching some of the NBA or the NHL hockey mm-hmm. right now. And all of these sports have these, post-event pressers mm-hmm. where you have to sit down and you have to talk and until, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's 10 minutes you're given or whatever. That might be something that the WSL looks at. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. That could be good. What else? What else would you change on the tour? I'd shorten you, it. I would get rid of uh, the bottom third of the surfers. There's too many of them. 24 surfers would be uh, good. It, would 24 it, be good? I th- Well, right now they're at 34. 32, 34. 32, and then the wild cards. 20, maybe uh, 24, including the wild cards. Right. Like 22 on the tour. Yeah. And then have, um, or 20 that qualify your two replacements or injury uh, wild uh, wild cards. And then the two that they give to, don't they give two to every sponsor for every I believe there's two like that. that float yeah. around, yeah. And they've got to have um, 
it just it takes too long, and some of the surfing that goes on is just really not worth watching. Yeah, and it's not. It's the um, the level of surfing is insane for everybody. I mean, you can go down to the beach here and um, where we live and see great surfing. Yeah, but at a certain level in professionalism, there's a uh, there are little fine lines that um, are create huge diff- gaps in ability. Yeah, and the back part of the tour, you know, and I'm not trying to. Right. We or anything. Right. I'm not there competing and, and yeah. they're better than I am. Right. But um, for the sake of the broadcast and, and the tour, I'd like it see, to see it be less surfers. Yeah. And that you get less, less time you need for waves. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's true. What about, um, and, and this is sort of cooked into what you just said, but maybe, um, and maybe you don't need, I was going to say lengthening the waiting period, but maybe with less surfers, you don't need to do right. that. That would help that. Yeah. What about, um, if the idea is to put the best surfers in the best waves, why mm-hmm. not just chase the waves? Like you and I know right now that there's probably really good waves in Peru. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a no brainer. Right. Like, so there's, I floated this concept of what I call like a purple blob tour. Mm-hmm. where, you, you know, you focus on a certain hemisphere during those seasons, winters, when you know there's going to be storms and waves. And when a purple blob appears, because you're light and nimble as an industry and as a production, right. because you only have 24 guys, and technology has gotten to a place where you can webcast pretty quickly and efficiently, you just see the blob and you go do events and something like that. And look, we would need to comb through it a little bit, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on a purple blob tour? That would be... In theory, that sounds great. I don't know logistically, even with how technic, technically advanced we are now, I don't know that they could pull it off with what their needs might be. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, they have to um, meet a need that's going to serve the WSL, right? Because they got to make money and they got to thrive and their sponsors have to be happy and everything as well. It's not just about the surfers. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I mean, in theory, that's a great idea because all you always want the best surfers in the best waves. I don't know if technol. I don't know because I'm not familiar with how they put events together and what it takes if yeah. it could be done. Yeah. Do you feel like? Were you ever a big wave surfer? I wasn't a big wave surfer, but the few trips to Hawaii that I had, um, you know, I went the three years I was on the tour. There was not a, a day, a size, I didn't go out and, and surf. I surfed YMA and Sunset and Pipe. Yeah. Um, but I, I was never one of those guys that said, oh, let's go find the biggest waves around and scare ourselves. Yeah. That wasn't me. Yeah. But if it was a contest and it was in front of me, I'm going. Yeah. Do you feel like the tour needs a big wave event that, that a world champion needs to confront those situations that frankly you guys had to confront back then. It was just part of the deal. You know, like if, well, they serve Hawaii now. Yeah. But I'm thinking, do you, do you feel like either jaws or Mavericks or um, even Waimea, one of these big wave spots should be on the tour for the CT guys so that we have a well-rounded world champion. No, uh, uh, I think just leave the world, the big wave tour to itself because it's such a unique animal. And um, you might lose too many talented surfers in very, very heavy waves even because we have chopes and all these other places that are, that are, you know, scary. 
um, just because that wave doesn't suit them. And I'd hate to see that become too important. Well, just w- one event. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, I've always said, look, if you're going to have an event at Kelly Slater's wave pool, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. But you also need to have a wave at Jaws so that right. we get a world, you know, world champion that has dealt with it all mm-hmm. and has come out on top. And frankly, Gabe Medina would kill it at Jaws, I bet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's too many guys that wouldn't meet, meet the challenge. Really? Yeah. Oh, I have a... I, I Name don't f- some. Who do you think wouldn't meet the challenge? I don't know that I can Not that name I, some. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, I, that's okay. I don't know that I can because people, you know, you don't know what yeah. people are made of until they're put in that situation. But don't you think that's part Jaws, of world championship medal to be to be able to handle that? Not always. Sometimes things are personal. You know, going out and surfing big waves sometimes is a personal goal. You don't even have to be that great of a surfer to surf big waves. I mean, technically, you don't have to be able to be super. Yeah. I mean, the Survival guy who stance. wins those big waves contests, yeah. you may not even recognize him in a medium surf as, yeah. a, as a great surfer. So yeah. um, I think they need to handle heavy waves. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessary that they have to win or surf an event at Jaws right. to, um, to earn a world title. Your feeling uh, is that if Cloudbreak is solid, that they've, they're putting their kind on the think, line. I yeah. sure do wish they would have ran it that one day, though, at Cloudbreak. That's that was disappointing, right? That I'm was sure disappointing. that all of them realized that, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that won't ever happen again. This concept that oh, none of us have boards for the, I'm calling kind of BS on that. Yeah, whenever I whenever um, somebody said, "How come you don't have a ten a ten or let's get you a ten I'm like, "No, if I have it, I'll have to use it or tell you I'm too scared, <laughs> and I am too scared. I don't want to go ride that." Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. A couple guys went out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they watched. Yeah, that was odd. Yeah, it was really odd. Any other changes? You're the you're the head of the WSL as an end user because I know you're an end user. I know you watch. Yeah, it I like love I watching. Do. Yeah. What is what's the one thing you're like? Oh, there are times the broadcast. I I like the guys who do the commentating, but there's times the uh, the commentating drives me nuts. I'll be sitting watching a heat. And I'll see something that happened, and it might not even have been a guy surfing on a wave. It might revolve around priority. It might revolve around paddling and positioning. And it was a big deal to the heat. Yeah. And they don't talk about it. And I'm sitting there yelling at the screen going, do you guys realize how important that was? Yeah. That's stuff that drives me nuts. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'd be a good commentator? Mm. I'm not sure. I Possibly, you know, it's one of those things where uh, if you're good at articulating things, because you can know what something is and and be able to see it in your mind, like coaching, but not be able to articulate it the way that it needs to be said. Yeah. And um, and then also you're you're going with an audience that is everything from hardcore surfers to they don't have a clue. So that's a hard blend with yeah. uh, being able to get that message across. Yeah. I think the guys that do it actually do a pretty good job. Who's your favorite? My favorite? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Blakey. Yeah, he's yeah, pretty good. He's right? amazing. Yeah. Yep. Who are some of the guys, going back to the PSAA, who are some of the guys that you just dreaded having to get into a heat with? Were there guys where you were just like, I hate this guy? Jim Hogan drove me crazy. Yeah, that guy was so relentless and tenacious, and 
I mean, he just would never, he was like the Energizer Bunny. He was nonstop. Um, Dino was pretty tough. What was it about Dino that made him so? Um, he just had a way of, uh, he, well, I think part of it was that we had contrasting styles. And uh, sometimes that's hard. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you got to figure out a way to beat somebody whose style's different than yours. What, what are the judges looking for today in this type of wave? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, those are the two hardest guys that I always had to deal with. The other guys that were really hard weren't on the tour full-time. Yeah. You know, some of the bigger names. They would do some of the events and then go back on the tour. Um, what about Tom Curran? Did you ever – I know he was on the CT, but – He never did any. Yeah. I served against Tom a couple times on the CT, Yeah, but never on the Bud Tour. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Kelly? Did you ever surf against Kelly? I mean, I know you Once. mentioned – Yeah. The OP East went to uh, Sebastian Inlet in 89 – and they had, I think that was, yeah, they had Hurricane Hugo and the waves were, were really good. Wow. And the final was, and I think Kelly must have been like 16 or 17. I was 25. He was young. Yeah. And it was him, Bashan, Rudolph, and me. Huh. And I think um, the judges didn't, you know, because Kelly was bringing a whole different approach to surfing. So if you are an international or a judge that's not from an area watching somebody do something all the time, yeah. you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, so some of the judges may not have understood what Kelly was doing yet. And uh, I think I won on a three, two split decision. I had four waves. I think my fourth lowest wave was better than any wave Kelly caught, but his surfing was so much better and so far advanced um, that he still almost beat me. And he, maybe he should have. I, I really don't know if the judges knew what to do with this surfing yet. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. And what do you take of his run here at, I don't I is he 47? How old is this guy? Is I think he's he 47. Holy mackerel. Yeah. What What is your take on Kel? Let me ask you this. Do you think he's going to win another event? No. Do you think this is his last year on tour? Full-time? Yeah. Yes. No more of tour events winning for Kelly Slater, according to you. Well, Pipe? I, I guess if everything came together properly, like I can't see him winning a small wave event. Yeah. <clears throat> There's just no way. Yeah. His surfing is amazing, but it's just um, the level from everybody else is too. If Chopes is really gnarly, he could, <clears throat> excuse me, he could win. Yeah. Of course he could win Pipe. Gosh, if they had cloud break, that'd be a whole other animal too. Yeah. Um, but I just think there's so many guys now capable. If you're if you're only having to worry about one or two guys, it, it's easier. The odds are better that you can pull it off. Yeah. But there's there are so many guys that can win in those waves. And John John is uh, I think he's pretty sick of losing to Kelly in the big surf. Yeah. It's going to get harder. Yeah. Do you think it's a thing that? That the other surfers have gotten way better, mm -hmm. or that Kelly's dropped a little bit in his performance, or maybe a little bit of both. Or do you think Kelly's as good as he's ever been? I personally, well, Kelly's, you know, Kelly is uh, a surfer who keeps evolving. I don't think he's lost anything. I think that he's changed the way he surfs. He's changed his boards to to do different lines and and things and. And and he's brilliant that way, and his style is and his surfing is beautiful. But one thing I noticed from some of the younger guys is that their board 
you know, Kelly's trying to make this perfect board. They are writing boards that push back a little bit more. So when they push on their board, it's, it looks a little more explosive because their board pushes back a little bit. Mm. Kelly's boards just fit perfect into the wave and he's doing these perfect turns. And I think sometimes even if that might be better or more, um, aesthetically, aesthetic, appealing. yeah, it, it may not score well. Oh, that's um, fascinating. He, yeah. he, when I look back at footage of him winning, not that he was on a CI cause you can win on different boards. Um, but it looked like his boards gave him a little more resistance. His turns could carry farther and, and he could jam a turn, get to that point where you, you, you go through halfway through the turn and then jam it. Um, and the board would kick back just enough to make it explosive. Oh. And now it's just more fluidity with him. Right. So, but I still think he's as good, if not better than ever. It's just, they've real the tour, the level of surfing now is, um, well, you know what it is. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. You know, last year, um, I want to, it's something like four Brazilians won nine out of the 11 events. Was last, it nine or 10? Something like that. Julian I, win event. I don't know, but my, I guess what I'm getting at, regardless of whether it was mm-hmm. nine or 10, they're dominating, right? This mm-hmm. storm seems to just be lingering over us. Why do you think the Brazilians are dominating so much? Well, um, when you, when something can change your life, the way, the way succeeding can for them, that's a, that's a drive. They're hungry. And the Brazilians by nature are super competitive. Look at how they are with soccer and things of that nature. Um, uh, they're hungry. They want to, you know, like we talked about earlier, I mean, American Australia are really, uh, all the surfers are just, they got everything from age two. Uh Here's your surfboard, you know, and then they have their parents taking them around and, uh, uh, getting them coaching and, and all the equipment and everything. Are we soft? We're soft. We're soft. Absolutely. Totally soft. Yep. Now, Kaloe, um, I know he was, you know, he, he didn't have a rough. No. But there's something about Kaloe. There's a hunger under there, and I just hope that he can find it um, and put it together and at least get one world title. That would be awesome. Yeah. He's, he's got it. Yeah. And, and a lot of people say, ah, he can't win a world title. But, because um, why? I just don't think, uh, some people don't think he's good enough. Oh, you mean technique? Uh, uh, well, just comparing it to the, uh, who's winning, right. you know, but I look at it and I'm like, I don't get that. chloe has got everything and evolves every year. He adds something. Yeah. His carving is amazing. His two writing skills, front side and backside. He's obviously got air game. Yeah. And, and, uh, and sometimes you have to look like you want it. And he always looks like he wants it. There's a hunger, there's a drive and there's a, uh, an attack mode he has. Yeah. So it'd be nice to see him get one. It could happen. What about Jordy Smith? <laughs> he might have missed his opportunity, I think. Yeah. Uh, he might have missed it. Um, uh, you know, four or five years ago, it would have been, oh, it's just a matter of time for him. And now it's just like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he could still win a world title. He's young, 30, maybe early 30s. For sure, early 30s. I don't know. But it's guy. not going to get easier. Yeah. You're going to have more and more young Brazilians joining the tour. And they don't come on the tour and need three or four years to figure it out. They may need one year, and then the next year they're in the mix of it. 
Yeah. Um, look at Philippe. He hasn't even won one. Will, uh, will he win a title? I would think so. I can't see how he wouldn't with his ability and the fact that he's now starting to go to places with big waves and spend time there. Um, cause that's his, that's his Achilles heel. Exactly. So Adrian, Adriano de Souza did it. He went to pipe and hung out forever, figured that wave out. He went to, uh, chopes and figured it out ahead of time he knew what he had to do to win a world title he anyway, was a working it. man's champion oh he my showed gosh up with his lunch pail mm -hmm. his i respect that hat. guy yeah. i really loved what he did and that he won one that yeah was awesome. i think we all do even mm -hmm. though we might not aspire to surf exactly like him but right right in many ways he's kind of r r similar to you if i might say that like well, just like a working man's hardcore gonna get the job done that's a compliment i like yeah. that yeah, yeah. Uh, what about um, what, what's the difference between Griffin Colapinto and Kaloe Andino? Both of them from the same area. Obviously, Griffin's a little younger, maybe four years younger, mm -hmm. maybe six. I don't know. But do you sense that Griff, who who of those two will win a world title first, if ever? Well, my initial thought a year ago was that. Um, Griff might get a world title by year four or five. And then he really started to struggle competitively. And it almost looks to me like, because his surfing is beautiful, it's technical, it's futuristic, and he understands carving matters. And, you know, for us especially, we love carving. Um, but, man, they just were propping him up like he was the next best thing ever. Even the pro surfers, the WSL, everybody. How can you not let that affect you a little bit, no matter how good of a kid you are? Yeah. Um, and he's going to have to figure out a way to find that hunger and desire and not listen to all that noise if yeah. he wants to win a title. Um, yeah, that's hard. I mean, you know, you've got the Joels in the mix going, oh, you're the best surfer. And, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, my heroes are telling me this. Yeah. So it's gonna that's going to be a hard thing for him. Um, but as far as ability goes with him and Chloe. I think Griff might have a little more natural ability, but um, I don't necessarily think that means he's going to outperform Kaloe, um on a regular basis. It, it could be close. Yeah. Are you, are you still tight with Dino, his father? No. Um, every time I see him, it's really good to see him, you know, yeah. a hug and how are you? And, uh, but life took us different directions. Yeah. So um, it's just anyone on, from those days that you see around, like in the water at the harbor or wherever no, you surf? I mean, I see Chewy. Yeah. But no, not really. Taylor a little bit now and then. But yeah. he was also a little bit after me. Yeah. Um, when I go to uh, this, like the surfer event, yeah. you know, I like seeing those guys. Yeah. MR and Sean and uh, Rabbit and Ian. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guys, and I mean, if it was Curran and Aki, oh my gosh, that would be... You right. know, that would be great. But no, I don't see anybody. Hmm. It's it's weird. You you get out of the surf industry and you get removed and it's like you never, it, it's different. Yeah. 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 Um, what are your thoughts on Kanoa Igarashi? Hmm. Do you think he'll be a world champion? What the heck happened to that kid? La was it last year at J-Bay or the year before that he brought, he showed up with sharp eyes? I don't know how to, I, I, it's always been the other way around. Somebody leaves 
a surfboard manufacturer, they get on a CI and all of a sudden their surfing goes through the roof because Al was such a great shaper and designer. And he grew up on those boards and he's really good on them. But something changed when he got on those sharp eyes at J-Bay and it clicked in a way to where it was like, oh my gosh. I w-, because it looked like he was regressing and going to fall off the tour after year two. I mean, he just kept, it was hard to tell what it was. But then he got on those boards, and all of a sudden, he just became an animal. And um, and it wasn't a flash like just that event. I just kept watching him and watching him, and it's like something's clicking and changing. And, uh, well, he's, he's going to take it to the next level. He'll compete for a title. You know, it's hard to say somebody's going to win yeah. a world title. I mean, only one the, guy does a year. Yeah, right. But he'll be in the race points-wise yeah. at some point. Yeah, I think, and and has the ability because a lot of times guys win like Adriano, um, without being the most exceptional, exciting surfer in the world. Right, and it comes down to uh, hard work, making good decisions, you know, and all Damien the pieces. Damien comes to mind. Yeah, all the pieces falling into place at the right time. It just sometimes that's how it is. And and I would suggest to you that Kanoa. He he grew up in Huntington Beach. He had all of this sort of North American USA, like he had the opportunity to become soft, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. But because culturally he has ties to Japan and the culture in Japan, mm-hmm. he never fully bought into the I'm good, world title, whatever, look at my new Range Rover. Right. I'm good. You know what I mean? Right. Like it seems like there was a fire that, that sort of simmers real low and you don't always see the flame, but it's really, it's really under there. there. Well, I mean, you could tell it's there when you see um, the interferences that happen in his heats. Yeah. Not a lot of interferences um, in general, right, in, in the tour nowadays, but he's had like three or four in the last couple of years, and they all tended to be with like, I think, the same person. <laughs> um, he's competitive. He's he's a sneaky little one, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that When you say the fire burning just under there and we don't see it, yeah, yeah. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to look for it, though. Are you excited for the Olympics? Surfing in the Olympics for the first time in 2020 in Tokyo. Oh my gosh, excited. No, I think it's a, a pretty big accomplishment and, and I commend uh, Fernando for getting that pulled off, but it doesn't necessarily excite me. Yeah. Um, I get excited for the next CT event. Right. You know, and that's going to be, who knows if it's going to be in good surf? Is it going to be in a wave pool? Who, you know, we have no idea. And it's have not going to ever- have the best surfers in the world. Yeah. It's going to be a mix of them, yeah, because they got to get every country in there. Yeah, there's going to be some nationalism that will will rear its head. That's what I'm like going to enjoy. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy that part. And of who it. do you think will be surfing for the USA? Um, Understanding that you got to throw the Hawaiians in there too. Um, John, John, how many are they going to get? Two, two. Oh no, two men, two women. Wow, it's going to be John, John, and um, either. Kaloe, Griff, or Seth? Because that's another year or two, right? Or another year. year. So Seth will have a chance to develop, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle. Yeah. I think John, John, and one of those three. Am I leaving anybody out? Well, the, no, I don't think you are. Kaloe, Griff, John, John, And Seth. maybe Seth if he's matured Zeke's enough. Zeke's a North American. Mm-mm, I don't see him having a chance. Yeah. And then the interesting thing is Kanoa, but he's on the Japanese He's team. Japanese, right. Yeah. He's the Japanese team uh and he is huge in Japan, like mm. crazy huge. Oh, yeah. I've Here's heard. Here's something interesting that I'm going to – you're the first person I'm going to tell this to that I heard this the other day. I actually heard it at Marcio 
Zuvi's shop, Sharp mm-hmm. Eye. I was down there wrapping out with him. And he said that the Brazilian storm is over. Because the economy in Brazil has taken such a tank the last six, seven, eight years or whatever mm-hmm. it's been, that there simply isn't any money to bring up young Brazilian surfers anymore. He was telling me that the last Brazilian guy is this kid, um, I'm forgetting his name now, uh, Mateo Hurdy, mm-hmm. I think, or something like that. Yeah. I think he might be on tour now, maybe. Uh, I think he's on the QS. Yeah. So yeah. he's... He said, after that, it's over. There's no more Brazilians coming on tour because of the way the economy is there. There's no more great stories from the favela of some some Brazilian surf company going, hey, this kid rips. He doesn't have anything. Let's set him up and prop him up and bring him along. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that the next storm that's going to blow everyone away is going to be from Japan. That the Kanoa effect is, we don't even understand how big it is. And that every 14, 15-year-old kid in Japan is geeking out on high-performance CT surfing because of Kanoe Garashi. Mm-hmm. And that the next storm that's going to happen is is the Japanese storm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Backtracking to the beginning of that, though, and saying that the Brazilian surfers are going to um, have a hard time because of the lack of money. God, the lack of money is what drives those guys. That, you know, it's like... They're not going to be brought along. Well, maybe just the hunger and desire and the determination will get them there. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's where I would kind of disagree with that. But I do see how Kanoa could have that effect in Japan. We used to go to Japan and they were crazy about surfing. Yeah. Uh, Shuji Kasuya was the best guy back then and he was an amazing surfer. Yeah. Um, but they just never got over the um, hump competitively. Yeah. What's that kid, Ohara? Hiroti Ohara, he's the one that won the um, U.S. Open a few oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, that kid's incredible. Yeah. Right. Um, he says he wants to buy himself a car. <laughs> that was the funniest thing <laughs> in the world. so great. Yeah. And he doesn't have a driver's license yet. Um, but they've always had a huge love affair with surfing and admired everybody, maybe to the point where uh, that held him back. You know, they just looked up to everybody so much. Yeah. You got to get to the point where you don't look up to everybody. Exactly. You get to the point where you're like, you want to look them straight in the eye and stare them down. Yeah. You know, Andy Irons type. Right. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the Brazil thing, the the feeling that I got from those guys when I was talking Mm -hmm. to them was that it's not that they wouldn't be hungry and wouldn't have the desire to make money and to do that, but that step from... From there's just no infrastructure there now, like as far as like surf companies that are like, hey, we need to sponsor somebody. Right. Even if it was grabbing a well-to-do Brazilian mm-hmm. kid, which many of them are already, there's only a few favela stories out there. Mm-hmm. But even those kids are now lacking sort of that, you know, kind of like American surfing in 1975 when you and I looked to Rabbit and Sean and MR because that's yep. all we had. Mm-hmm. And there, there was no infrastructure here before PT and Ian came over and sort of ramped up the NSSA right. for us. So anyway, that's that was the feeling, or that's what I was told. So I found that to be interesting. And Igarashi means fifty storm. Really? Rashi means storm. Iga, wow. Fifty. Fifty storm. Kanoa Igarashi is fifty storm. That will be. Uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I found that fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We need to watch this. We'll see oh, in five years. We're going to get to see yeah, it. That's for sure. If it's all true or not. Yeah. Yeah. Know. No, I mean, it, it, it's so hard to predict the future, but that's an interesting um, insight that I would have never thought of. I, I Obviously, found it he has some um, 
connection to Brazil. Oh, Marcio. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so he, he would have yeah. some um, insight there. Yeah. But I just forgot to even consider, because I've heard about Kanoa in Japan, but it didn't dawn on me what, what that could do as far as uh, driving the surfers and them becoming a force. Um, it's hard to see, but it was hard for me to see that Brazil would become a force one day. Yeah. When we were on the tours, like there'd be one or two guys and it was like, ah, those guys will, you know, they're, they're going to try and do their best, but you know, they just didn't have it yet. Yeah. Now they own it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's fascinating. What, um, what boards are you riding these days? Vulcan. Oh, cool. Yeah. Dane. Dane. Yeah. 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 I'm riding a, uh, uh. Dragonfly quad fish, mm-hmm. and um, I hated quads. And he said, "Just try this one." Yeah. And the reason I hated them is because you couldn't really drive or push through a turn or trust it to hold in. Yeah. And this one did that for some reason. I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, but maybe you're also, not pushing hard enough. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm pushing hard. And you know, instead of feeling like it just wants to drift all the time, it'll actually jam a turn. Yeah. And uh, and then you get the benefit of the fish. You know, our our surf sucks. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you want to cross uh, uh, chop and flat spots and all that. I don't want to work hard. Yeah. <clears throat> um, like I used to. Yeah. I'll let the board do some of the work nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So cool. What have we missed? Have we missed anything? We said a lot here today. Well, what do you want to say? You know, I, I think the one thing we didn't talk about, and I'm a super big fan, is women's pro surfing. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you a fan of? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe how good they've got. Of course, Steph and Carissa and, yeah. and um, how good they're getting. Um, all of them. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such an amazing transformation from when we were on the tour yeah. to see how good they are. And one thing I've noticed, and I'm not, you know, I don't know where, where it's going to go, but with the men getting so far ahead futuristically in surfing with aerials and everything, there's times on good waves I'd rather watch the girls because you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I like to watch good, clean surfing on the face. Yeah. And uh, sometimes, like at D-Ball, we didn't get to see a lot of that. Right. So it was refreshing when the women went out um, because they're that good now. You can actually enjoy watching them surf. It's yeah. amazing. Lisa Anderson was pretty good in her day, right? And that oh was kind of that was kind of when you were around. Oh was, yeah, she's a little bit younger. She's than a me. little younger than me. Um, but yeah, she, but the rest of them kind of fell off quickly, right? Relative mm-hmm. as far as their technique and their mm-hmm. ability. Yeah, I think I remember Wendy both having pretty good technique out of South Africa. Yeah, and then Lisa. Um, gosh, I think that was it. And then it just this new rate, uh, this new. Yeah group of girls have you ever been inducted in, into any hall of fames Mm-mm. like surfing hall of fames like it seems to me that you should be in the huntington beach whatever the walk of fame or the surfing <laughs> fall you know what i mean like you're the three-time north american world or it's you know north american champion right like, i know you're, you're you're sort of humbly you know shrugging your shoulders and i know you know you know i don't know i mean that's those are the kinds of things other people decide you know, I mean, I think because you're not in the industry, like you're just you, you, you just sort of disappeared. Yeah, more or less from, you know, the industry or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? And it, and it feels as if you're not getting your due. That's my gut feeling. Well, that's nice of you to say. Um, 
I enjoy interacting with friends from the industry. Yeah. When I get a chance to see them, you yeah. know, cause it's, it's farther apart, you know, like the surfer magazine thing. I went to a California surf museum thing a few years back, seeing some of those guys. I really enjoy. I don't yeah. really miss the industry right. per se, the relationships, but I like the people, yeah. um, some of the people in the relationships. Yeah, for sure. And as far as being overlooked, it's like, you know, I, I wanted to measure myself against the best and there's, part of me that wishes I would have fit that in somewhere, um, on the world tour. Um, you know, I had a couple of, I had some good showings, but never, I, I I would have needed to stick with it longer. Um, but that's really, that's it. I just, you know, I just love surfing. Yeah. What about some of these, um, some of these legends heats? Uh, I could see Mike Lambrizzi in a legends heat against Dave Parmenter. How would that make you feel? (laughs) You know, it'd be fun, but there'd be no draw. It's unfortunate, but it's you got to have a draw, right? People have to go. I got to go see this. Right. That's Kern. That's Augie. Yeah, right. Um, that's just the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Potzinger a little bit. You know, they tried that one yeah. at um, Trestles. Um, I'd love to watch Sean and Mr. in a Legends Heat. That would be great. Yeah. Um, what I want to know is how do we get invited to the World Masters Championships? Yeah, there's some politics there, isn't there? There you're must not, be. I don't even the, know how to do it. You're not the only one that's asked that. Yeah. I, mean, it was, I think Mulhern, I think maybe Pat Mulhern was talking to me about it a couple of years ago. Did you ever surf against Pat Mulhern? No. Oh, that guy's a character. He is. He's a competitive guy. Yeah, I bet he is. He's kind of like Jim Hogan. He's he's going. He's he, got a motor. Nonstop. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, what's next for you? Um. Gosh, I just, uh, surfing and that's it. You know, life's kind of, uh, uh, at a real even pace right now. And I got a good routine. My wife and I, uh, spend as much time together as we can when, when I'm not working and we love to just go out and do stuff and be outdoors and take little trips. We go to Mexico a couple times a year, rent a place and surf down there and, um, uh, just, just yeah. hang out, yeah. It's just oh, yeah. A, it's a mellow part of time in life right You're now. Your grandfather five times. That's incredible, dude. It is. That is incredible. Yeah. How old are your grandchildren? Eight, eight, six, four, and two and a half, maybe. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. You're my age. Fifty-five. <laughs> and it started and got him out there. Good for you. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, Mike. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott.
to their 